This episode in the book of Numbers, that's where we are, uh, is going to provide, I think, a fairly clear response to what you have just interacted about. If the world is in a mess, what's the explanation? Is it due to externals or is the mess out there due to the ugly in us? I think you're going to see in this episode before us, it's Numbers chapter 25, that the answer is the latter, and that the trouble in the world has nothing to do with externals, it has to do, here's the title, it has to do with the ugly in us. So let me direct your attention uh, to Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, where we read, while Israel remained at a place called Shittim. It's actually an abbreviated place name. The full name actually means a field of acacias. An acacia is a tree. You see them in Africa and also in the Middle East. Some of the furnishings in the temple were fashioned from acacia wood. Uh, the point is, Israel at this point has come pretty much to the end of her almost 40 years of wilderness wanderings. It's been over 38 and a half years at this point. And now they're in quite a lush place. They're in a field of acacias. Listen, they've been in the desert for decades. You know what a desert experience is like. It's dry and it's arid and it's barren and it's hot and it's harsh and it's trying and it's challenging and one might come to the conclusion that Israel's sin while in the wilderness is due to her external circumstances because they were not ideal. The environment outside of Israel was oppressive and this is what caused Israel to sin. Now, if you're of that persuasion, you're left with a tough problem. Because at this point, Israel is not in that kind of harsh environment at all. They're in a grove of trees, folks. God had given them victory over those who stood in the way. One man was named Sihon, another Og. God not only gave Israel victory of, over those who opposed her, he even planted wells, miraculous supplies of water for her. Ones made attempts to bring down the curses of Almighty God on Israel, and he insisted instead to bless her. And now he brought her to this rather lush place. It's right on the Jordan River Valley. There's water. She's not in the desert anymore. Not only is she in a wonderfully lush place, from this place she could see her place. You see, she's on the eastern side of the Jordan River Valley. She's right across from Jericho. I'm telling you, she could reach out and touch her place of promise. These are magnificent conditions. The externals are better for her than they ever have been. And yet, in spite of the environment, which is so inviting and so comfortable and in which she is so marvelously satisfied and sustained in spite of what's outside of her, we read, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. And so you see, ugly externals do not produce 
sin. They simply reveal it. It's there all the time. It's the ugly in us. That's what sin is. And so under the most marvelous circumstances, we read the people began to play the harlot. It's the outside ugly that produces our bad behaviors. If the outside ugly produces our bad behaviors, then where is the, I ask you, where is the outside ugly in this situation? What is the external provocation, the external excuse that has caused Israel to sin? Folks, it is not the ugly outside us that is the problem. It is the ugly in us. Israel is in an ideal circumstance. God has turned back curses and instead has fulfilled his promise given to Israel in Genesis to bless her. So I ask you, what has provoked Israel to sin here in this case? It's the ugly in her. She was born into sin. This is her nature. This is our nature. Israel is preserved alive today, not because of any inherent goodness says. The Jewish people are preserved alive today because we learn from the Jewish people what human nature is like in contrast to divine nature. Human nature is ugly on the inside. We are not born inherently good, as so many would want to persuade us. That is not true. There is the ugly within. We are, in fact, not inherently good, nor are we inherently a blank slate. We are inherently sinful. We're born into it. So says the psalmist, in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. The environment, deprived and disadvantaged though it may be, did not account for sin. It's the internal environment. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So you see, it's not a pretty picture. Human nature is characterized by an inborn sin nature. This is the ugly in us. Look, God created the world. He stood back. He admired his handiwork and pronounced upon it, it is very good. In Hebrew, tov ma'od. It is good to the max. He stood back like an artist admiring his creative work it is very good. And in this environment, he placed our forebears, first man and first woman. Please tell me what they lacked. Their needs were perfectly satisfied. He, the all-sufficient one, placed them in a garden of paradise. They were not raised in an impoverished environment. It was not depleted of resources, natural or otherwise. They were not handicapped nor disadvantaged. It was a garden of paradise. And yet, our forebears, Adam, Eve, chose to sin. Please explain that to me. Their behavior cannot be explained by outside circumstances, experts today. 
politicians, sociologists, and psychologists want to take the heat off of us and blame our misbehaviors on the fact that we developmentally have been perhaps challenged, we've been deprived educationally or financially, whatever it is, we come from a dysfunctional home background. Please, I don't want to minimize all these factors. They contribute to the way we are, but they don't produce sin. Folks, it's there. You and I are born into it. It is inherent, it is internal, it is inherited. It is ugly. It's not a pretty picture. It is the ugly inside of us. Even first man and first woman, in the most beautiful environment, you see, they chose to sin even there. So, so how do we explain our tendency to sin? Folks, it's in there internally. Now, we have seen this ugly inclination to sin repeated since Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, we see it here with Israel. Folks, we see it at all times, in all places, and amongst all people groups. The ugly within us is the common human denominator. It is sin. We see it here, manifested in this chapter with Israel. Even under the best of circumstances, we see this horrific human tendency to lapse quickly into sin. Israel had been given victories, one after another, by God's grace. Israel, uh, her God refused to allow her to be cursed and insisted on blessing her instead, and yet Israel sinned. You know why? It is the ugly in us. I'm repeating that sufficiently so that you would be uh, legitimately distressed about your nature. It's not a pretty picture. It's ugly. Look at verse 2. For they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Israelite men were invited, it says by them, they invited the people. Israelite men were invited by Moabite women to their religious festivals, during which time the there was this, this melding of uh, uh, spirituality and sexuality. There was immorality of a sexual kind, and all this was sanctioned by the worship of pagan Moabite deities, the people of covenant, the people descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people who knew the one true God, not the multiplicity of gods, but one, those people were invited by Moabite women to worship at the feet of Moabite gods. And so what the men of Moab could not do, defeat Israel militarily, the women of Moab succeed in doing. They trapped the Israelite men in sexual immorality and in idolatrous worship. You remember Balak, the king of Moab, we read about him, tried to enlist the services of the sorcerer from Mesopotamia, Balaam, so as to curse Israel, and God intervened and would not permit it. No, he said, they shall be blessed and not cursed. And so Israel could not be cursed 
but Israel could be rather easily seduced. Why? There's something in them. There's something wrong if Israel, so privileged, so blessed, could be so easily seduced. Verse 3, so Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. Baal, a general term for Canaanite deities, it means Lord or Master of Peor. It was a mount where this particular Baal, Canaanite deity, was worshipped. And Israel joined herself to Baal of Peor. And the Lord, in verse 4, said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. Some people read things like this and have a problem with God. Do you mind me inviting you to give it up? Could I suggest to you that God has a problem with you, and that's more serious. He doesn't have to defend himself, and we don't have to defend him. Can you see the seriousness of giving in to the ugly within? It was the wrath of Almighty God by which he required his representative Moses to execute all those leaders in Israel who should have known better and who should have intervened and kept the idolatry from occurring. They didn't. And God, yes, he's a God of all grace, but he's intensely, uncompromisingly holy. He said, Moses, execute them. Now, when you analyze this in the Hebrew text, here's what actually happened. They were killed first, and then they were impaled on poles. That was the means by which they were publicly displayed. Notice it says, before the Lord in broad daylight. They were pierced through. They were impaled on poles so as to appease the wrath of God. Now today people vote in favor or opposed to God. The audacity of the creature giving a vote uh, to, to the character of God. I'm at the point where I'm tired of trying to explain things to people instead of just stating this. He is the God before whom we all have to make do. Sinning against him may be retranslated, redefined, and find its place of acceptance in our sin-sick society, but it is not acceptable to God, and he intervenes. There was nothing hidden nor drawn out about this, no appeal process. Moses, execute them, impale them on poles before me in the sunlight. Show people how uncompromisingly holy I am. I need this text, and so do you, because I fear I'm being neutralized by prevalent acceptability of sin around me in all quarters. It's not. I want to tell you, unless there's a solution to the ugly in me, I'm next to be impaled on a pole, and so are you. 
Do you see how serious it is to fall into the hands of an angry God? Yes, his righteous anger is aroused in this case. And so Moses said, verse 5, to the judges of Israel, each of you shall slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Now get this. Then, behold, can you get the scene? It's horrific. There's public execution of those who should have curtailed the sinful inclinations of the people. Can you imagine the sounds and the sights and the tumult and the smells and all the rest? This being the environment, verse 6, then, behold, one of the sons of Israel, an Israelite, came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman. You'll see he was a man, an Israelite man brought a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of the congregation. It says right there, nothing hidden. What they were about to do caused them, it's sick, caused them no shame. Caused them no shame. This is broad daylight. The man brings the woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel while they were weeping. They're weeping. There's death, sin, it's ugliness led to it. They're weeping, probably crying for Almighty God to grant them repentance and to be merciful to them in the midst of all this. Can you get it? In the midst of all this, an Israelite man brings a Midianite idol worshiper, a woman, in front of all the people while they're weeping. Where? At the doorway of the tent of meeting. Right there where God said, I will establish my presence in this place. At the doorway of the tent of meeting. Right there they gathered together for what? For immorality. In keeping with Moabite religion. And Phineas, verse 7, the son of Eliezer, making him a priest. He's a priest. When he saw this, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it. He arose from the midst of the congregation. Can you envision it? All this is going out. And the ugly within this Israelite is so prevalent, uh, unrestrained, uh, unbounded, and, and he is without such shame. He has her by the hand, this idol worshiper, and the worship of her God is consummated by the consummation of their own illicit physical relationship, and they don't even have enough righteousness in them to get a room. It's at the doorway of the tent of meeting while everyone is crying out for Almighty God to be merciful to them. And the priest jumps up. He's the son of Aaron. From the midst of the congregation, he takes a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent. They established their own tent near the tent of meeting, the holy dwelling of Almighty God. They established their own tent and the priest went in there with a sword in his hand and pierced both of them through. How did he do it? One was on top of the other. That's how, through the back of the man and the stomach of the woman. You get the picture. I don't want to be unduly graphic, but can you see the degradation? 
Don't you tell me we're inherently good. Don't you tell me we just do a few bad things, make a few bad turns, make a few mistakes. Don't you tell me it's because I didn't get a good education or I'm the product of a divorced family or my father was... It has nothing to do with that. It's the ugly with... Can you see how ugly it is? Even Phineas is so repulsed by it and how God's holiness is so degraded. He takes the sword and he puts them to death. Both the man of Israel and the woman threw the body. And so the plague, what plague? We don't even know how it came. We're not even told. But we know it was the judgment of God on his own people. The plague on the sons of Israel was checked. It's ugly. I can't buy this sociology and this psychology and this political nonsense where everyone is proposing external reformation. The problem is the environment out there. Save Mother Earth. Are you kidding me? It's ugly on the inside of us. This exemplifies it. It's so ugly. This goes on in the midst of the weeping and crying of people, people and, uh, impaled on these poles right at the doorway of the, 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 the tent of meeting. Folks, we are not inherently good and go bad. We are inherently sinful. And you know what we do? We verify it again and again and again. It's ugly. And it is the ugly in us. Phineas, a priest, intervened. And this plague put upon the Israelites by their God was abated without the intervention of the priest. Appeasing the righteous wrath of a holy God, thousands of others would have perished as it is, according to verse 9, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Stop. Critics of the Bible will call your attention to 1 Corinthians 10, 8. And they will say with reference to this episode, it is recorded there that only 23,000 died. <laughs> but Numbers says 24,000. Error in the Bible. No. Error in the critic of the Bible. Ugliness in the life of the critic of the Bible. What that verse says in 1 Corinthians 10, 8, recorded by Paul, is that 23,000 died on one day. What about the other days? What about the leaders who were impaled on poles before the plague? And so you see the so-called inconsistency in the scriptures is easily resolved. 24,000 died. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath. What a phrase has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I didn't destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. We have a big problem. There's something wrong in us. It's really ugly. It is sin. And it makes God, it makes holy God very angry. What are we going to do? What can turn away God's wrath? Phineas did. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be marvelous? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a priest? An authorized priest? An empowered priest? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have such a one standing in the gap between us and the God we have offended so as to turn away his wrath? Wouldn't that be marvelous? You know what God did for him? Verse 12. Therefore say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. No, not that God was at peace with him and he with God. No, 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 no. God bequeathed to him because he's merciful. And he loves it when atonement is made on behalf of others. He's a merciful God. Phineas made atonement in blood. Phineas appeased the wrath of God. God so loved it that he said, I'm entrusting to you the covenant, the means by which you can help others to be at peace with me. I'm giving to you the priesthood of Israel, the covenant of peace. And it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood. Because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. A covenant of peace bequeathed to an eternal priesthood is granted to this priest and his priestly descendants. And this is a striking demonstration, don't miss it, of the mercy and the grace of God. See, though there is something intensely ugly in us, there's something really beautiful in him. His mercy and his grace is really beautiful. Phineas, here's the covenant of peace. Here's the means by which you can show people how they can be reconciled to me. I give it to the priesthood of Israel forever. By his mercy, God gave this covenant of peace with a guarantee that there would be always a priestly mediator to offer it on behalf of Israel and all others. Now, folks, many have said unnecessary. Don't need a divine solution because I don't have that big a human problem. I just need an education. I just need a chance. I just need a job. That's it. I just need for there to be an equitable distribution of the world's wealth. <clears throat> That's what I need. I don't need, don't talk to me about a savior and a redeemer and a divine solution because I have a solution to the human problem. The human problem is not inherent inherited internal sin. The, 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 the human problem is, uh, you know, I just, I, just, uh, I, I just need a chance. I just I make some mistakes. Oh, but that was, a, ooh, that was a bad decision. I can solve my own. And so people like that say, uh, there is no ugly in us. In fact, people like that say, we haven't been born into sin at all, and no inherent sin problem, no need for a divine solution. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, some of you know of him, French philosopher and writer in the 1800s. This was his belief. His belief is that we are born good by nature. Of course, that left Rousseau with a striking problem because in the 1800s in Europe, I mean, the world was a mess. So how do you explain 
his uh, theory. We're born inherently good, yet the world is a, is a mess. Well, his explanation for it all is not that we have a sin nature, but, but, but that the society corrupts us. Can you see the flaw in his thinking? Can you please tell me what society is, if not a collective conglomeration of us? What is society? It's not an impersonal entity. It's us. It's a, the collective of the human race in a certain locale. That's a society. Listen to me. If society corrupts and society is made of people, that means it's people who corrupt people. And if people can corrupt people, people are corrupt. Don't you see it? It's in our It's the ugly in us. We are corrupt. That's what a philosopher. Theologians to this very day embrace that very point of view. Not here. No place here for that stuff. But in plenty of circles, that's what theologians embrace, that we are inherently good, not inherently sinful. But folks, what we really are on the inside, did you know this, is empirically, empirically verified by what we do on the outside. We Christians have doctrines of the faith. Don't get nervous about that. This just means stuff we believe in. We just believe in things, and that distinguishes us Christians from others. There are beliefs. Do you know the doctrine, in my opinion, that we Christians hold to that is the most easily empirically verified is the doctrine of human sin. <laughs> For instance, if I tell people I believe the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, and I do, we do, it's going to take some discussion. If I say to people that this Jesus is the God-man, we believe that. It's going to take a little discussion. If I say this Jesus is going to come again, i got to work on getting that one across. But the doctrine is called hamartiology. It's the doctrine of sin. Hamartiology is the easiest doctrine <laughs> to demonstrate. All you need is a mirror. <laughs> Human sin is the most empirically demonstrated biblical truth. Who we are on the inside, in case you're wondering is simply revealed by what we do on the outside. And so the ugly within is proven by the ugly without. And so if we're not born with this sin nature, please explain to me the universality of sin. Everyone does it. You know, if we're born inherently good, I would expect to find some pockets somewhere of real virtue. It ain't happening in Pearland, let me tell you that. That's where I'm... I, maybe your neighborhood, but... And all this has nothing to do with the dire circumstances, and they are horrific circumstances. Many uh, people find themselves in, and yet all this has nothing to do with the dire circumstances we may have been born into. No, no, no. Do you know the two key characters in this text who committed this terribly degraded act of immorality 
before God and these witnesses uh, right at the tent of meeting, you know, they're named in verses 14 and 15. The guy is Zimri and the gal is Cosby. And we read in those verses that Zimri had good roots. He's the son of a leader in Israel. And the woman had good roots. She's the daughter of a leader in Midian, which proves this. If both of these parties had such privileged backgrounds, both being children of leaders in their respective communities, if both came from very prominent families and they did, if both had very promising futures and they did, then how, in spite of all this privilege, silver spoon in their mouth and all that other kind of stuff, in spite of all this advantage, how do you explain the sin they committed? Don't you see the argument advanced by foolish people today that if we simply exchange the externals, it will perfect human nature, falls flat on its face. What externals needs, needed to be changed in their life? They had roots, noble roots. Look what they did. It's the ugly. I tell you, it's the ugly in us. There's something wrong with us, folks. The Old Testament tells us about it. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us, all of us, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities... Unsay dysfunctional family, lack of education, you know, whatever. They're Our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You see, well, that's Old Testament. Well, yeah. New Testament, Romans 5.12, Paul says the same thing. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all Men, because all sinned. It's ugly. It's you. It's me. The best of us on the inside have a big, big problem. Every person has inherited the nature of the first person, Adam. And it is a nature that moves us to sin, sometimes at the drop of a hat. And while it moves us to sin... And moves us away from God. He won't tolerate it. He doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't look away. He didn't give suggestions. He gave commandments. He's holy. Can't be in the presence of the ugly within us. It's oil. It's water. They don't mix. So we spend our lives cut off from the giver of life. Hence, the world is in a mess. We're living in God's world as if he doesn't exist. Hence, the world is in a mess. Wouldn't it be great? Oh, am I just dreaming? What a dream. Wouldn't it be something to have someone like Phineas? <laughs> I don't know, a priest like that who could avert God's wrath for us, who could... I don't know. Who could enable us to be at peace 
with this intensely holy God against whom we have sinned. I'm dreaming. I know it. Let's dream. Wouldn't it be great to have one like this? There is this one. There is one who has not inherited Adam's sin nature. There's only one. There is one who has not inherited Adam's sin nature. There is one who does not have this ugly within. There is one, you see, who is without sin. One who is without sin. And this one has been given the covenant of peace, the means by which warring entities, sinful humanity, and a holy God can be at peace. This one has been given the authority to make peace between humankind and their creator. This one is Jesus. This one is Jesus. This one suffered and died and rose, and this one stands in the gap between us and a most holy God. This one is the Prince of Peace. This one is the peacemaker. This one has been given the covenant of peace, and this one's priesthood is eternal. Of it, there is no end. This one's beauty stands in stark contrast to our ugly. <laughs> the beauty of his grace, the beauty of his mercy and goodness, the beauty of his kindness and compassion, the beauty of his righteousness and his holiness, the beauty of his, imagine it, sinlessness. All this beauty in him stands in sharp contrast to the ugly in us. You know what this one could do? He could make all things beautiful. You know what he could do? <clears throat> what nobody can do. <laughs> he can change us from the inside out. Everything else is a vain attempt to clean us up on the outside but the corruption is too deep. This one can change us from the inside. Do you have this one in your life? That is the question. Yes or no? Yes or no? Do you have, no, not I don't know. Come on. Do you have this one in your life? Yes. Or no? If no, why not? Persuade the rest of us that your no is better than our yes. Or let us persuade you that our yes is better than your no. Do you have this one in your life? 
It could be yes if you invite him in. Now, this is another thing. It just overwhelms me. Not only is there this priest who is willing to stand in the gap, but he's willing to stand waiting until we invite him to come in. He's so powerful. But here he waits for an invitation. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. It's dark in there, light of the world. Pierce the darkness. It's ugly in there. Only begotten Son of God with whom he is well pleased. Clean it up and make it beautiful. A place fit for you to reside in. Come in, sinless one, forgiving me of my sin. Change me from the inside out. All external change is cosmetic. It's makeup. It masks ugliness. Beautiful Savior, be my Savior. Yes to you, Lord Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Lord Jesus, here you are in our midst. It's a promise, for this is your church gathering. It is our sincere interest that you reside not only in this place collectively, but in each person's life individually. So in the power of your spirit has to be that way. May there be no one who leaves here tonight without saying yes to you. Yes, Lord Jesus, beautiful Savior, make me new. Make me beautiful. Pierce the darkness within me, light of the world. Change me from the inside out. You entrusted with the covenant of peace, you who sits on the throne eternally. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, so that my eternity can be spent with you. Forgive my sin. It is the ugly within. I cannot overcome it. You will not tolerate it, but you will forgive it. Oh God, in your outpoured blood, cleanse me from my sin now. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I am yours. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.